0: Well, my name is Dustin Maddox, and I'm so glad that you are here this morning, Uh, and if we have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, I would love to connect with you uh, after the service. Uh, Today, we're continuing along in our series called The Irreligious Jesus, where during this season of Lent, these 40 days where we kind of align ourselves with the story of Jesus where he goes into the wilderness and experiences fasting and temptation in order to surrender all, to more fully align himself with the, uh, the reality of God's love and God's mission in and through him. And, and so we parallel that in, the, in these 40 days leading up to Jesus' Crucifixion and resurrection, which we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday. But in in this season and in this series, we're looking at more than just what is it like to give up something during this season, like you know sweet treats and red licorice and things like that. But what does it actually look like uh, to not let the uh, the rituals and routines of even something like Lent uh, get in the way of us seeing Jesus clearly, uh, of knowing, uh, of taking a a searching moral inventory, of looking deep within us, looking past the ways that we try and self-justify, but looking at, at what is actually in us that most of the time we're not We don't have enough time or space to really take a look at. And so that's what we're doing uh, in this series. And and this reminds me of something that happened to me recently. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was in a rental car, and it was a brand new rental car. It had like 27 miles on it, and uh, it it had all sorts of bells and whistles, Apple CarPlay, and, you know, some cool deals, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm driving this brand new rental car, and I, I merge onto the freeway, and I'm, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, I hear this shrill, piercing, deet, deet, deet! and I like duck and swerve a little bit, and, and then I, I look, and, and in my rearview mirror, there's this flashing light. It, oh, it, 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 it's a blind spot indicator. There was somebody coming into my my blind spot. Said, hey, wow, 21st century. This is amazing. <laughs> However, about every seven milliseconds, this thing went off. Deek, deek, deek! And and so I was like, okay, I'm on a two lane sort of highway, so I, I, I go into, I merge into the fast lane, so, you know, get, get out of my blind spot, and still, as I'm driving in the fast lane, it's just constantly going off and going off, and so, uh, eventually, I'm so irritated by this incessant beeping uh, that I called my therapist, no, I, <laughs> I pulled over and Googled how to turn it off because it was so frustrating, this sound. And so finally I got it turned off and, and, and kept going. And, and as I was driving, I was, I was kind of thinking about the reality of my own blind spots. <laughs> like I, I could benefit sometimes from a blind spot indicator. This would be helpful to me, to know that, uh-oh, I'm, I'm swerving into something unforeseen. There may be unintended consequences here. Deep, deep, deep. beware. But at the same time, if we're too focused on our blind spots, if, if this alert is constantly going off and, and, and we shut it off, it, it's not sustainable to be constantly aware. But is, is there something, is there some way, perhaps something from the way of Jesus that can show us how, or, or can answer the question, is it possible in some way, one way or another, is it possible not to get caught in our blind spots? Is it possible that the light and the life of Jesus can help us to not get caught in our blind spots, relationally, interpersonally, whatever that might be? And so we're going to look at this story from one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And this is written by one of his closest followers. Uh, His name is John. And throughout this biography of Jesus' life, which John knew Jesus as a young man, and John is one of the 12 closest disciples of Jesus, uh, who actually was was not uh, killed early in life, but lived to an old age, and so he had a lifetime to reflect on the life of Jesus. He had a lifetime to kind of hold up the light of Jesus into his own sort of blind spots, and then he writes from this place this this story of Jesus' life, and his gospel, his, his biography, is different than the other three. There are four gospels, and, and John's is unique in that it's saturated with thoughtful reflection on historical events. John will take a snapshot, a particular snapshot from the life of Jesus, but will, because he's meditated on it so long, He's drawn out the sort of universal application of it. And that's what we're going to see in this story of Jesus healing a blind man, a man who was born blind. So, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he, meeting Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responds, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me, meaning the Father, Night is coming, Jesus is reflecting on his own crucifixion, his impending death, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. John adds in, this word means sent. So the man went and washed. And one of the greatest lines in the gospel, John says, and he came home seeing. My sisters and brothers, it's possible for you today that this might be true of you in a deeper way or in a new way as well. And when we come into the light of Jesus, you too can go home seeing. So John chapter 9 is a bridge between John chapter 8 and John chapter 10. You're welcome. (laughs) I'll be here all week. John chapter 8, Jesus is at a Jewish religious festival where he says, I am living water. He takes the sort of symbols of this religious festival and he applies it to himself. And he says, what you think this is about, I am the thing behind this thing. This is about me. And then in chapter 10, Jesus is at another religious festival where he takes the symbols of that religious festival and applies it to himself. And this is really, really upsetting to the religious leaders of the time. They are outraged and incensed that Jesus says, this thing that you, that you get so caught up in and, and Enforces and reinforces your own sort of attempts at self importance and pride. These things are not actually about you, they're about me, and they're about pointing to the work that God has always been about in and through me, and that God wants to invite you in to be a part of. And so, John in chapter 9 inserts this meditation, this story that is going to help us interpret how these religious leaders are responding to Jesus in outrage, this religious judgmental impulse that lurks inside every human being, that when we see the light and life of Jesus, we want to push back and say, quit getting your finger so much up in my business. And so John gives us this story, and, and Jesus is walking along, and he sees, he sees this man who was born blind. And the trouble is that I, I, I imagine that there, there's some sort of pause that happens here that captures the disciples' attention. That Jesus, the master teacher, pauses and stares. They've seen him heal people before. They know that he's a teacher of of the way of God, an interpreter of the Torah, the the teachings of Moses. And so they say, hey, maybe this is a teachable moment. And and they invoke his, his title as a teacher, Rabbi. Who sinned? Who sinned? Whose fault is this? Is it this man's fault that he's blind? Or is it his parents? This was a live question at the time. We we look at it and we're like, well, yeah, I mean, we're going to kind of side with Jesus here and say, neither. Like, this just happens in the world. But the theological debate at the time was, there was a saying, the parents eat sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge. Like that our own sin and brokenness can have consequences on future generations. Or did, did something happen? Did In, in effect, did, did this person somehow sin in his mother's womb? And that's why he was born blind. in, In essence, the disciples kind of take these two sides of how we see most things in terms of fault or responsibility in our world. What is brokenness? And what is the cause and what is the source of brokenness in your life and in our world? And what's the remedy? Do we, in some way, adopt personal responsibility Bad things happen because we make choices that have consequences. And the way to get out of those consequences is to pull up your own responsibility bootstraps and move your way through them. Or is it some sort of systemic inequality that bad things happen because some other people made choices that have impact and, and effect right now? Well, which is it? Whose fault is it? Is it mine or is it theirs? And Jesus says... Neither. Neither. This is done, this happened, so that the work of God, the love of God, the light of God might be revealed in this situation of brokenness and blindness. You see, the disciples and us, we are hyper-focused on providing an answer to the diagnosis. But Jesus is more interested in the prescription, in the solution. They see this man as some sort of object of debate. But Jesus sees this man as the subject of divine mercy and love. And our trouble and our problem is that we tend to do the same thing. We tend to hyperfocus on the brokenness that exists, that we perceive that exists in other people. And the church, newsflash, has been especially guilty of this posture and this position. The uh, sort of critic of Christianity, Richard Dawkins, puts it like this, He says, the unhealthy preoccupation of early Christian theologians was with sin. With whose fault is this? It's sin, it's your fault, it's brokenness, it's depravity, all of that stuff. They could have devoted their pages and their sermons to extolling the sky splashed with stars or mountains and green forests, seas and dawn choruses. These are occasionally mentioned. But the Christian focus is overwhelmingly on sin, 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 sin. We have a nasty little preoccupation. What a nasty little preoccupation to have dominating your life. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, or you grew up in a church with a nasty little preoccupation towards sin, you're looking at this and saying like, Amen, brother. Preach it, right? And in some senses, I completely agree. (laughs) To have a preoccupation with sin is not helpful. But the prescription that our modern culture wants to give us is like me turning off my blind spot indicator in the car. And past that, even removing the rearview mirrors and saying, you can see everything clearly. There is a, a sort of movement of thought in the culture that we live in that's influenced by a pushing back against and a movement away from the diagnosis and prescription of the Christian story and the way of Jesus. And this movement of thought is called modernity. And modernity wants you to see that the problem in the world is easily diagnosed, but we don't have to talk about sin to do it. Sin, isn't that something that we've gotten over? Like, didn't we grow up past these childish sort of understandings of sin and and personal morality and and all of that stuff? Haven't we sort of evolved past that? Can't we just talk about personal responsibility or systemic inequality? Like, can't we just focus on those things, let alone this? And if if you're going to focus on it, that's fine. Just focus on it for yourself. Don't go calling other people sinners or getting caught up in whatever else they're doing. Don't worry about any of that stuff. But you see, even this perspective blinds us to the reality that Jesus is gracious enough to reveal to us, which is in fact the diagnosis of the human condition in Jesus' time and in ours, is that we, in fact, are blinded by sin, not enlightened by modernity. We live in a modern progressive world. Progressive meaning we have moved forward in time. And we think we have moved past all of these definitions and discussions of sin. But to look past this invitation is to look past the source and the site of your own healing. To look past this with the thought that we can see clearly now, the real issues, once we get past God. Now we can really start seeing. Now, C.S. Lewis, who could see things clearly, uh, once put it like this. The problem with our modern world is that he diagnoses as as we, we see through things. Modernity is predicated on seeing through things to the inner workings of things and being able to name and locate and specify those things. And so he says, you cannot go, go on seeing through things forever, ever, whether in society or in other people. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same as not to see. If our posture or position towards other people or the world is a seeing through, oh, well, I can see what their motivations are. I understand very clearly these broad, sweeping historical and sociological movements based on this singular factor, where all of politics is predicated on how you vote or do not vote on this singular issue. I can see through all of that. That's not the same thing as to see. And to see, you need to be able to see through what's on the other side, what is the thing beyond the thing, what is the thing that is motivating that, and what that is conditions how we see. To put another way, what I see is conditioned by me, my social location, my family of origin, my Time in history conditions and shapes and frames how I see you, and how I see others, and how I see the world. We don't see clearly, we see. It with distorted lenses, lenses that are full of our own internal projections and neuroses and sin and brokenness. And until we can, in fact, name that we are blinded by sin, we will not be able to truly see people or the world for what it is. But the good news, my friends, the good news is that Jesus' mission is to restore Your vision. Jesus' mission statement that he gives at the beginning of his ministry includes the line, recovery of sight to the blind. And more than any other miracle by category, what Jesus does is restore sight to the blind. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has this refrain, Do you have eyes but fail to see? Jesus' entire ministry is summed up in his interaction with this person. And what the church fathers and mothers saw in this story of this particular instance is Jesus' universal ministry that you and I are spiritually blind. But Jesus comes to us to spit in the mud and to gather up some dirt and rub it on our eyes in this act of new creation. In the same way that God in the beginning took mud and created humanity, Jesus takes mud and creates new eyes with which we can see. And when we go to the pool and wash, in other words, when we participate in baptism and are brought into the life of the, of the Christian community and the way of Jesus through the washing of the water, and we are sent into the world as ambassadors of God's love with clear-sightedness, that the world is both more blinded by sin than it dare admit and more loved by God than it ever dare hoped, then we can see clearly that God has come into the world to restore your sight. Why? Why? Jesus wants to heal your blind spots, and mine so that we don't lose each other in them. Jesus wants to heal your blind spots so that we don't lose each other in them. It's entirely easy. I've been guilty of this more times than I'd like to admit. I lose sight of people's brokenness in my own brokenness. And Jesus wants to heal that so that like Jesus and not like the disciples, we can walk along in our world and see. We can see not an object of debate or classification or condemnation, but a subject worthy of divine mercy, of God's love and God's healing. I've shared this quote before, but I... I'm going to share it again because it's so good and so worthy of sharing and even of memorizing. But this quote comes from Father Greg Boyle, who is the founder of, of Homeboy Industries in, in Los Angeles, who is the largest gang rehab and, re, uh, and reintegration program in, in the world. His whole... This whole ministry is predicated on the ability to see the image of God and people who, whose lives are marred and broken by sin and whose faces are covered in tattoos and we can't clearly see them. And, and his mission is to hold up a mirror to these people and let them know that they are worthy of the healing that they seek. And Father Greg writes this, what happens when our, our sight is restored? That soon we imagine with God this, this, this circle of compassion. And then, we imagine no one standing outside of that circle. And we move ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied, and we locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. And at the edges, We join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. Jesus wants to heal our blind spots so that we don't lose each other in them whether it's the people in this room or the generations of people who are not in this room or the people in our city who have been categorized and labeled as disposable. So how do we increase our ability to see? There's a practice from the way of Jesus called self-examination. And this Practice is how we find where we're blind. And there are multiple ways to engage in this practice. Uh, one pretty straightforward way is to engage in a reading of a passage of Scripture, but to allow that passage to read you, to point out things in you that are in need of healing. Asking the question, Jesus, where am I blind? Or to whom am I blind? Help me see. But to take it one step past that, I think the clearest way that we can begin to see clearly is in relationship and in community. I think that is an indispensable way that Jesus speaks to us and heals us. And so here are a few questions that I invite you to explore with a trusted person this week, whether it's a partner or somebody in uh, your small group or a Bible study, uh, perhaps your sp- or spouse or partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, a colleague, <laughs> um, ask these questions. And, and, and take a picture of this, write these down, uh, And let me just say, like, don't ask these questions if you are genuinely unwilling to hear the, the answer. Like ask these questions and then receive them. Uh, there's a, there's a, a book called Thanks for the Feedback and it's about ha- how to handle constructive criticism. And uh, you don't need to read the book. Here's here's what you need to know from this book. How to respond to constructive criticism is with this line. Ouch. That helps. Respond to these questions. If you're going to respond at all to asking somebody these questions, respond with this line. Ouch. That helps. Because we are blind. These things, these behaviors, these attitudes, these mindsets, these opinions, whatever they are, We are blind to them because they exist underneath our nose. But they can be exposed through trusted friends. So, What do I do that hurts you? How could I better love you? What is it like to be with me? And do I show interest in others or mostly talk about myself? Beloved of God, may you know that you are seen by the God who is the light of the world, the God whose light heals in its revealing. And may you see clearly both the depth of your own sin and the breadth of God's mercy and grace for the sake of of the world. Amen.